You're listening to Strictly Business Podcast with Lindsay Williams. Yesterday was Thanksgiving in the United States of America, and there are many, many reasons to give thanks for the United States of America. And on that day, there are many reasons, I think, to say, well, maybe we should question some of the things going on in that country. With me to discuss Thanksgiving and other matters is Jay Brooks Spector, who is associate editor of the Daily Maverick in Johannesburg and also ex-US diplomat. Jay, before we get on to the United States of America, I think I have to say, and I'm not being sycophantic here, I have to give thanks for the Daily Maverick because every single morning it keeps me up to date with what's happening in South Africa in a way that I can I can digest, even though I don't want to know what's going on in South Africa, if you see what I mean, because it's so unpleasant sometimes. Well, we try to deliver stuff with a with a certain degree of, of flair and uh, a little bit of wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Uh, but, you know, the facts are all there and the judgments are obvious. Uh, and to the extent possible, it's entertaining even when it's terrifying. Yes, exactly how I would have described it, but not as eloquently. Now, what about the United States of America? I mean, if you're an investor in the U.S. stock markets and various indexes that I track every day on my podcasting site, then one would, of course, give thanks because it's been a spectacular year uh, for various reasons. But outside of that, American society is, is divided. I think that's probably the most polite way I can put it. Well, even if you're a stock market investor... Uh, there is a certain nervousness that's associated with this. This is this has been the largest bull run in, I think, recorded history since they've been keeping track of such things. Uh, it started back in the immediate aftermath of the great financial crash uh, and ran through most of the Obama years, except for the first one. Um, if, if I remember correctly, it was about... The stock market average average had, had gone down to about nine seven or some nine thousand seven hundred or thereabouts, and when Barack Obama left office, it was just nudging up towards nineteen something or other, uh, and it's continued so far uh, in Donald Trump's uh, period, uh, not least perhaps because of the the tax cut has given investors with uh, big pots of money a little bit more of it to play with. Um, but within all of that, there is always the seed of destruction, because after the long run, there's always a correction. And so people are beginning to wonder, just when is that correction going to come? And then an ancillary question, of course, is, and how deep will it be? And then pursue into that, and how long will that one be? So into every silver cloud, there is there is a bleak moment. Um but if you look at the Trump administration more generally, let's, I think it's important to break it into foreign and domestic affairs because more than in most cases, they've been held in very separate manners. Uh, the Trump administration's foreign policy uh, generally has record does not have much in the way of success to give thanks for. Um, the the highly talented breakthrough with North Korea, uh, we're still waiting to see the highly touted part of it. Uh, the North Koreans continue to test missiles. Uh, they haven't tested nuclear weapons, but they continue to test, and they, uh, they indicated just the other day they sent something aloft which had two independent warheads 
so, you know, you begin to wonder uh, where that's going to go. Um, the uh, Middle East, uh, the pullout from the, uh, the Kurdish areas of north, northeastern Syria did not lead to a calming of, of the region. In fact, it led to the Turkish invasion along the border, the abandonment of the Kurds, who had done most of the fighting against ISIS or uh, Daesh, uh, in any case, and it gave evidence to those who wished to look for it of the, the likelihood that the Americans, at least in this administration, would abandon them if it came to that. And that, that certainly has been one of the bleak marks of, of the period. Um, the relationship with Israel has become personalized in a way which was unusual uh, between Donald Trump and Benjamin Netanyahu. It was almost as if they were two colleagues in the same country, in the same party, facing the same uh, uh, adversaries and vicissitudes. But um, by moving symbolically the American capital, uh, thus the embassy, uh, rather, to uh, to Jerusalem and accepting it as the de facto capital and recognizing uh, the effective uh, suzerainty over uh, the Golan Heights and even uh, the legitimacy of all of the West Bank settlements, despite the initiative that Jared Kushner, the president's son-in-law, uh, carried forth to create an economic investment in the West Bank, Gaza, and so forth, um, that's still born. That's not going to happen, and it's not going to happen because they put the economic cart before the political horse. Yes. And as a result, that's gone nowhere. Um, in Afghanistan, and um, the uh, American troops are there. They're a very, very small number now. Uh, there are other allied countries with small contingents, smaller than the U.S., I think the total number of foreign troops in Afghanistan now is somewhere just south of 13,000 uh, individuals at arms, which is way, way down from where it was five, six, seven, eight, ten years ago. Um, but nevertheless, it doesn't appear to have an end point. Uh, the president made his announcement that they would re resume talks in some way with the Taliban, which uh, which controls about half the country, but there's no light at the end of that particular tunnel yet. Um, with regard to China, uh, the trade conflict continues, and there's no easy way out of it, and especially since the Congress passed legislation, the Hong Kong Freedom Liberty Act or whatever, I think that's what it was called, and the president signed it, the Chinese uh, took umbrage at that, saying that violated uh, uh, the right of China to behave uh, within its own country as it sees best, uh, and uh, there'll be a price to pay for that, too. So don't expect, in spite of all those happy words that came out a couple of weeks ago, yes. don't expect a quick and easy result on the U.S.-China trade front. Well, it says hasn't been quick. I mean, it's been it's been two years now, hasn't it? Maybe it's been more than two years. I mean, it seems to have been rumbling on. Every single day I speak on my short-term, or rather my short-term looking podcast, everybody says, well, Lindsay, the market's up today because the trade talks are going really well. And then the next day it'll be, well, Lindsay, the trade talks didn't go so well, so the market is down. 
It's like the bold and the beautiful. It well, never it stops. At some po- it'll end at some point, but the question is what will it look like when it does end? I heard a presentation the other day um, by uh, a, uh, by an important uh, economist uh, which spoke to the the great fear that people have now is that the the wave of globalization and the interweaving of the supply chains internationally for all manner of manufacturers and even intellectual property more generally uh, that what is the likely outcome now uh, may be the great uncoupling uh, that you will have a Chinese-related supply chain world, you'll have an American-related supply chain world, and the, the two will have less interweaving than they had, excuse me, just two, two three years ago. Uh, and that's going to affect all manner of products. It's going to affect all manner of uh, purchases by corporations and consumers. And it's going to affect the way there'll be a struggle a conflict, a competition, you get to pick your word here, uh, between the two spheres on new technological innovation and how it's introduced and where and to what extent. But the other thing that I think I wanted to highlight internationally is the unweaving of U.S. security relationships. We know about the way the president has spoken about NATO uh, and uh, we know how some of the NATO partners, most especially French President Macron, have been very distressed publicly about how this has been going on. But the one to watch is the way uh, the United States is making enormously larger demands on both Japan and South Korea to cover the costs and then some of basing U.S. forces in both countries uh, relations, security relationships, which are half a century old or more. And that's not going to go well, uh, even if it ends with a degree of agreement. It's, it's going to leave a residue of distrust and, and unhappiness that's going to be hard to broach. But then shift domestically, if you will. Sorry, Jay, just before you switch domestically, as you eloquently put it, can we talk a little bit about the Ukraine. I mean, you're an ex-US diplomat, so you have a very, very unique insight into the way that diplomacy works with the United States, or certainly with uh, previous United States administrations. What is your take on the impeachment inquiries and and the, the way that diplomats have been used by the current president, the sitting president, because it's to me it's it's confusing but also fascinating. Well, I mean I, that is in fact a nice way to, as a nice transition from international to domestic, because the the problem with Ukraine uh, has been largely that the, that the old established normal version of diplomacy was sidelined for a whole raft of of private, uh, non-governmental connections, which seem to be largely in the direction of harming potential rivals for the 2020 election. Uh, and that's new. To use international uh, relations and the delivery, in this case, of defensive weapons uh, to Ukrainian forces trying to deal with the Russian incursion in the in the east uh and a meeting in the white house these were the 
this was the bait in exchange for a promise or at least a public demonstration that the Ukrainian authorities would look deep into Joe Biden, former vice president, and presumed to have been the front runner in the Democratic nomination process, and his son. Now, admittedly, his son exercised extraordinarily poor judgment in taking up a, a position on the board of directors of a Ukrainian natural gas company. But there's never been any hint that uh, that the previous administration exercised uh, its power on that company's to that company's benefit, or that vice, former Vice President Biden gained any material benefit from this. Uh, but the Republicans have been really bent on the idea of proving the counterfactual narrative that no, it wasn't the Russians that engaged in election interference in 2016, but somehow it was the Ukrainians, and they managed to make it look like it was the Russians, all in the interest of uh, something. And it's never been quite clear what the Ukrainians were supposed to have gained from this, uh, but there are a fair number of Republicans who are still pursuing this um, rainbow-colored Ukraine, rainbow-colored unicorn. I, I, I don't know quite how to describe this this fixation they have on it, but it, that somehow Donald Trump was convinced that there is a server, you know, one of the standard sort of computer network servers that was secreted out of the Democratic National uh, Committee's offices, carried to, to Ukraine secretly, and there it lies with all the evidence and the proof of Ukrainian interference in the American election. Um, now, it, you know, this is all the stuff of nonsense, but American intelligence community evaluations have successively demonstrated pretty much without any doubt that it was a whole range of, of Russian uh, elements and government official, government agencies and private, so-called private agencies and uh, companies all of whom carried out one or another of these things, including thousands of, of bot accounts and so, other social media uh, interferences. But nevertheless, to prove this counter-narrative, they have been engaged in this process of trying to offer a left-hand, you know, I hate to use the phrase quid pro quo because that brings, oh, please brings, don't. Our, brings Latin into this, but I mean, that's <laughs> the shorthand for it. You do this and I'll do that. I, I tend to prefer the the, uh, the way it comes out in, in, in mafia movies. Uh, I just have a small favor to ask for from you. Oh, and by the way, are your children still healthy? Yeah. And, uh, you know, you get the point of that real yeah. quickly. And I mean, Ukrainians sort of got the hint, but <laughs> they never really did the, the investigation because there's not much to look at. Uh, but they did eventually get the weapons. But only after uh, the, the memo from the whistleblower uh, who had expressed his deep unease about what he learned was happening was made public. And so here we are domestically. Uh, you're just a little bit, a couple of days short of a year away from the election. Um, in those terms, the Republican nomination, absent some dreadful moment, happening between now and then is securely in the hands of Donald Trump. 
uh, he'll run for re-election, and uh, that will be their candidate, and the rest will be window dressing. The Democrats are now engaged in what appears to be an 18-way, I think it's 18 now, 18-way struggle for the nomination, uh, including newcomers like Michael Bloomberg, uh, who, if you've ever seen anything associated with business reporting, no, he is the, the owner of uh, Bloomberg Business News and all of its affiliations, three-term mayor of New York City, uh, and as he likes to say, the most unlikely candidate, 77-year-old, slightly pudgy Jewish New York, New York billionaire. Yeah, he's, he's worth $53 billion US dollars as well, which, which means like. he can throw $35 million in his initial salvo of advertising, of commercials, $53 billion. That's a That's a lot of money. That's, a, that's quite a lot of power, and people like that sort of thing. Well, I mean, some candidates uh, or would-be uh, nominees, uh, like Elizabeth Warren, the senator from Massachusetts, who was running toward the leftward side of the Democratic Party, uh, she says it's not fair when one person can buy the election. Um, that is an illusion, not very subtle, toward uh, Michael Bloomberg's ability to fill the airwaves with uh, images of his own choosing. The counter to that, of course, is... Well, he's the only candidate in the universe, perhaps, for whom he is not viable by any conceivable contributor. Good point. Nobody could make campaign contributions that will get his attention. He doesn't need them. Uh, now, is that the right way to conduct business uh, in an election? I don't know. But the things to watch, the benchmarks to watch now, there'll be one more big presidential debate on television in mid-December. Uh, and after that, there's a few days off. But the candidates are all going to be running from, from, from pillar to post in Iowa and New Hampshire, because those, and Nevada and South Carolina, for that matter, because those are early, uh, um, sorry, caucus or primary states. Uh, Iowa comes in January and uh, New Hampshire very shortly thereafter. And South Carolina, because the Democratic Party in South Carolina is particularly uh, African-American in its percentages, and because Iowa and New Hampshire do not look like America in um, demographic terms, uh, they're very different. They're small town, mostly white, older, more rural. Uh, they don't look like the rest of the country. And the candidates that can manage to show, how shall we say it, strength in both places begins to say something about their national capabilities. But the date to watch without question is the 3rd of March. Because then there are 13, well, 15 separate primaries taking place all on the same day, including California. Uh, and Texas, and uh, anybody who wins a majority of the states in those primaries on that day has a real head start to winning the nomination. Uh, if it if it fragments and candidate A gets this this much and candidate B gets that much, so forth, then they're back to the same circular firing squad they've been in since the beginning of the cycle. In economic terms of the country. Um, yeah, we've talked about that a little bit. Um, the state of the economy is good. Uh, unemployment is down near historic lows. What economists used to say was zero unemployment, 3.5% uh, used to be the common figure 
that said anything lower than that is inflationary because that number represents largely people who don't want to work but are still formally counted, people who are in transit between one job and another, or people who have just left university or other training and are still looking for work but are not, in the formal sense, unemployed because they've been thrown out of work. They're just entering the job market. But that's about where the number is now. And uh, wages um, are rising slowly in a, in a national kind of average. Um, investment by corporations is up. And all of this, of course, speaks to the uh, aphorism that became famous with the Clinton campaign back in 1992. It's the economy, stupid, uh, that wins an election. But this one may be different uh, by virtue of the fact that the parallel narrative to the election, uh, the, you know, the, the primary votes for the election campaign and the impeachment uh, proceedings in Congress, these are two parallel narratives that are running simultaneously. And it depends a little bit on which one captures the imagination of voters more. And I'll, I'll tie it off by saying right now the latest survey I saw said 50% of the people polled want the president impeached and convicted, and 43% don't. That says to me it's a country that's deeply split and very much uh, at odds with itself about the future of its politics. Yes, there's a, there was a program on CNN yesterday called All the President's Lies, and I, I watched it with a good deal of fascination because I follow his lies, I follow his Pinocchio moments uh, via the Washington Post. We're, we're numbed into it, and he's very clever, the President, that is, and I'm not asking you to be political now, but he's very clever in the way that he constantly bombards you with lies, and eventually you start believing them as well. And I'll go now to a quote from President Dwight D. Eisenhower. He said, a people that values its privileges above its principles soon loses both and i think that sums up donald j trump yes he's done well for the well, he's continued the momentum of previous administrations on the economy or one previous administration in other words jobs being created and gdp growth being nice and steady and rising and being fairly decent for such a giant giant economy but really he his his moral compass has has gone askew if you like well as i say the uh, the country's divided on a lot of a lot of lines, it's divided in those areas where the economy is is booming, and it's uh, and then on the other side of it, um, it's um, divided by people who are well. It's divided by people who are uh, in small towns and uh, parts of the the rural countryside that aren't doing well. A lot of farmers, in fact, are doing much worse than they thought they would be as a function of the trade conflict with China, which stopped, thank you, which stopped buying American soybeans and pork products and poultry, uh, and those are where the U.S. has a major comparative cost advantage over almost every other part of the country. Uh, any other part, any other country, excuse me, that was badly put. Um, but uh, then you look at uh, small-town America versus big city, uh, the big cities are, to a considerable degree, flourishing, and the small towns are withering, um, relatively speaking. Small industrial towns, industrial uh, cities in the Midwest continue to, to, sh to uh, shuck off jobs, 
And it's not simply a function of foreign competition. It's a change in the nature of work. Uh, automation has really dug in deep now in most major manufacturing processes. Um, I mean, years and years and years ago, I saw the first uh, forebodings of this in a Japanese steel plant, uh, custom-made steel plant where they even built artificial, even built docks uh, along this island for the raw materials to come in and the products to go out. And before they had done all the renovations and changes, there were about 350 men on a shift. And I asked the plant manager, and this goes back to the, uh, this goes back to about 1981, 82. And I said, so how many people on the shift now? And he said, 15. And that kind of thing has come home with a vengeance to the United States in almost every conceivable process of modern industrial uh, creation. And you can bring new investment, you can bring new factories and plants, but that doesn't necessarily mean you're bringing more jobs. And so all kinds of towns that were dependent on uh, major manufacturing plants, they may get new plants, but they may not necessarily get new jobs. Looking forward to 2020, if you are. Let's have a look at the likely result in the 2020 election. Do you think Mr. Trump will secure another term? Too early to tell. It really is. It's too early to tell because too much is yet to occur uh, in his own impeachment and the continuing revelations about Ukraine and other matters and the way in which the Democrats frame their issues and pick their candidate. Uh, by, let's say, if the economy continues on its current trajectory and Donald Trump survives conviction but is impeached, but survives conviction by the Senate, and uh, if the Democrats continue to have a kind of guerrilla warfare amongst themselves, Donald Trump may well win that second term, despite many people's deep-seated fears and, 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 and reviling of his behavior. If, on the other hand, any of those three things that I've mentioned, the economy, uh, the impeachment process, and the way the Democrats can, uh, comport themselves, if any one of those or all three of them uh, go a, di- a very different kind of way, it's going to be a real battle for him. Jay Brooks Spector, thanks so much for your fascinating insight. Jay Brooks Spector is an associate editor at the excellent Daily Maverick, based in Johannesburg. That podcast was proudly brought to you in association with sharenet.co.za. Visit strictlybusinesspodcast.com and subscribe to receive exclusive content straight to your inbox.